people of this nation have spoken. They've delivered us a clear victory. People of this country have no assurance at all that those ballots were actually cast. We can now project that former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president. Hello, I'm Catherine Tilly McManus, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Monday, November 9th, 2020. Over the weekend, the presidential race was called for Joe Biden, making him president-elect and Senator Kamala Harris vice president-elect. His plans for the transition are going full steam ahead. And today, we're looking at what the Biden administration's plan to tackle the ongoing national health emergency might look like with the announcement of Biden's COVID-19 advisory board. CQ Roll Call healthcare and health policy reporter Sandia Rahman is here to walk us through who Biden has picked as he prepares to orchestrate a response to the pandemic. President-elect Joe Biden announced who will serve on his COVID-19 advisory board, emphasizing that their first priority will be to control the pandemic. This is important because according to the latest Johns Hopkins University data, we now have over 10 million diagnosed cases of COVID in the U.S. And this news comes as Biden has also applauded early results from Pfizer that their vaccine is 90% effective, uh, far surpassing expectations. Biden's experts will advise the incoming administration on how to tackle the federal response to COVID-19. And the list is a lot of the top players in the public health space. So his team will be led by three physician co-chairs, and they are David Kessler, who's a professor and former FDA commissioner who served under George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton, and Vivek Murthy, who was Surgeon General in the Obama administration, and Marcella Nunes-Smith, who is a professor who focuses on equity and health. Congressional Democrats like House Ways and Means Chairman Richard E. Neal have already applauded Biden's moves. The president-elect's advisory board also includes 10 other experts from across the country, many of whom who've already served in leadership roles in the federal government. Some of those key board members include Rick Bright, who is a vaccine development expert and was the former director of BARDA until earlier this year when he alleges that the Trump administration pushed him out. And some of the other players are Ezekiel Emanuel, who's a former special advisor for health policy to the White House Office of Management and Budget, and Eric Gooseby, who is a professor and founding director of the Ryan White Care Act during the Clinton administration. So Biden is likely to make more COVID-related announcements in the coming weeks. Another policy area where the Biden-Harris administration is expected to make an aggressive pivot is immigration policy which was one of Trump's signature issues. CQ Roll Call immigration reporter Tom B. Misra is here with a look at what to expect. The Trump administration took over 400 executive actions on immigration, imposing sweeping restrictions and expanding enforcement efforts. It was a big part of the campaign promises that Trump ran on and a big part of the agenda once he became president in 2016. That means President-elect Joe Biden will have to grapple with a difficult inheritance when it comes to immigration policy once he takes office on January 20th. The Biden-Harris campaign emphasized its promises to reverse the bulk of Trump-era immigration policies. But a lot of questions remain on the extent, timing, and feasibility of these reversals. Some of that will become clearer in the coming weeks when the Biden-Harris transition team chooses its cabinet picks. 
especially for agencies related to immigration, such as the Homeland Security Agency and the Justice Department. But here are some things to expect once Joe Biden takes office. Number one, the first 100 days could see some quick reversals of Trump-era policies. For example, Biden's promise of canceling the ban against people from Muslim-majority countries and reinstating the Obama-era Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program should be relatively easy and quick to fulfill. DACA allows undocumented people who came to the country as children to stay and work. It's low-hanging fruit, politically speaking. Since this group of immigrants is viewed quite sympathetically by the American public, and legislation protecting them has gained bipartisan support. The second thing to keep in mind is that while the Biden-Harris administration is getting its ducks in the row, some border policies may stay intact. The Biden-Harris administration has vowed to stop border wall construction and revive the asylum process that was largely ended under Trump. But logistical considerations will play a huge role in how these reversals will be implemented. The administration may actually leave intact a controversial March order, allowing border officials to turn back all migrants at the border while it gets its bearings. The third thing to keep in mind is that comprehensive immigration reform may remain elusive. In the last presidential debate, President-elect Biden promised to send a comprehensive immigration reform bill to Congress within his first 100 days in office. However, even if the Senate ends up in the control of Democrats, it's going to be a real feat getting different camps within the party together to agree on any such comprehensive measure. Lastly, it's worth noting that the Biden-Harris transition team does not mention immigration as a priority on its website, nor did the topic come up in recent remarks and speeches made by the president-elect or the vice president-elect. In fact, the topic hardly came up during the presidential debates. Experts believe that these are signs that other policy areas might take precedence over immigration plans. This would be in stark contrast to the admin, uh, Trump administration, which threw out immigration restrictions in great volume. What some expect is that the pace of immigration changes may slow down under a Biden-Harris administration. The race for the White House is over, but which party will control the Senate is still up in the air. It could hinge on two runoff elections in Georgia. For two more months, all eyes will be on the Peach State, where two incumbent Republicans are facing strong Democratic challengers. CQ Roll Call Politics reporter Stephanie Aiken tells us about the candidates who will face off in Georgia on January 5th. Let me tell you a little bit about the candidates. In the first race, you have Senator Kelly Leffler. She is extremely wealthy, which is one of the reasons why um, the governor appointed her, because it was thought that she could finance her own campaign. She also was uh, expected to be able to appeal to white, suburban, moderate women who Republicans thought that they might have a weakness with. Um, but what happened was she came in and has been uh, touting her loyalty to President Trump all along. And during the uh, general election, when she thought she was going to face a potential runoff against another Republican House member, Doug Collins, who is a big ally of President Trump and President Trump's first choice for the Senate appointment, um, they, um, they both were competing for the support of Trump's base, and she had to veer very sharply to the right. Um, that could be a problem for her because what happened was the Democrat Raphael Warnock kind of came from behind with a late fundraising surge and uh, 
a surge in voter support, partly um, probably due to the Black Lives Matter movement. He's a civil rights leader and the pastor at Martin Luther King Jr.'s former church. Um, and so he kind of came in in the last month and um, picked up a ton of momentum and he ended up finishing ahead. And now Kelly Leffler is in the difficult position of trying to pivot and appeal to a more general base of voters than she was trying to attract during the um, the November election. And we'll see how she handles that, especially if she's running without Trump on the top of the ticket. Um, on the other race, we have John Ossoff, who owns film production company that makes documentary films. He is a former congressional aide. He ran in 2017 um, in a race to flip a House seat that got a ton of attention because Democrats really, really wanted to flip the seat in the Atlanta suburbs. And that ended up being the most expensive race ever in House history. He lost to a Republican, but he's kept on going since 2017 and has built a very impressive um, operation, which he's crediting to um, his success so far in the runoff. Um, he's running against Senator um, David Perdue, who comes from a very well-known political family in the state. His brother, Sonny Perdue, is a former Georgia governor. He's the secretary of the Department of Agriculture. And David Perdue is also a former businessman, also incredibly wealthy. And um, he uh, has been a very, very strong supporter of President Trump himself. It seemed uh, for a while during the general election that he was trying to um, soften up some of his edges and appeal to uh, a more general electorate. Um, but at the end of the, the race, he kind of dropped that and started appearing um, with President Trump at rallies, at a rally right before the election. He um, seemed to purposefully mispronounce Kamala Harris's name and got a lot of attention from that. So it will be extremely interesting to see how these two candidates choose to run without President Trump at the top of the ticket. Back in Washington this week, the Senate is expected to do something a little crazy. Introduce all 12 appropriations bills during the lame duck session, more than a month into the fiscal year that's already begun. The Senate won't debate or vote on these bills, but their release is expected to launch conference talks with the House ahead of a December 11th funding deadline. Senate appropriators are expected to drop all dozen bills on Tuesday morning. Our friends at the CQ Budget Podcast are the spending experts around here, and they will dive into this in their next episode. Like all those spending bills, it drops tomorrow. Check it out. That does it for us today. From the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, I'm Katherine Tully-McManus. 